Hey, I'm Asher. And I'm Jackson. And what you're about to listen to is Strictly Confidential. for us to talk about pre the main thing that we're going to talk about. Okay. So my buddy Brentley, who listens to the show according to him, and so I want to preface this by saying I love Brentley. I have no idea whether or not he actually listens to the show. So this part right here is a test to see whether or not he listens. Brentley, if you're listening to the show, text me the word buttermilk. Now moving on, Brentley has, he and his wife have a dog named Scout. They, I don't know what kind of dog it is, but picture a cute one. He's that. Aw, look at him. Yeah, he's adorable, right? Brinley and his wife got Scout a toy. This toy on the packaging says, has a um, squeaker inside that can only be heard by dogs. Does it really, though? (laughs) (laughs) Because I know for sure that I can't hear it. Well, that's what they advertised. That's what they promised. No, no, no. They promised has squeaker. Not hearable by humans. Very easy thing for you to put in anything. (laughs) Like that kind of thing applies to most objects. And the problem is that I picked it up and held it behind my back and squeezed it to see if Scout, the dog, would pay attention to it. One out of every four times he did. But the problem is there's no way to test, which makes this genius level marketing. Because you are also holding a toy above your head, and that is interesting enough for most dogs to get their attention. The target audience is man who loves dog but hates noise. The only way you're going to get your dog to make an audible response to it is if he's in pain. So, I mean, Scout's not just, you're not going to squeeze it over your head, and Scout's just like, hits you with the thumbs up, and he's like, seems good. Yeah, nice. It would be so much easier if Scout could say yes or no. I could figure out this mystery once and for all because I could look Scout in his eyes and say, Scout, do you hear this? Squeak it behind me, and he could say yes or no. There's probably some more spectacular things you could do with that talent, but yeah, you could also make sure that the dog toy you purchased from Kmart is functioning properly. Why don't you ask me how my week has been? First, I had a tweet of the week that applied to this, but then after that, I'd love to hear how your week has been, my dear friend. Variety magazine's twitter account tweeted johnny depp was previously attached to a film titled the invisible man but sources say he will not appear in this film (laughs) somebody quote tweeted it and said so is he in it or not (laughs) and his name is mr chris addison if you want to follow that funny tweet of the week (laughs) did they did they know they had to have known when they tweeted that out so asher how's your week been Uh, It's been pretty good. Uh, Just came back from work, honestly, if we can kind of peel the veil back a little bit. Eating some, uh, trying to keep my blood sugar up. Eating some uh, hot and spicy Cheez-Its, which were my favorite in my youth, because they combine my two loves, Cheez-Its and Tabasco sauce. But, uh uh-oh, the new box just has hot sauce and a actually horrendously Photoshopped bottle with hot sauce written in unfiltered Helvetica, just bright red. Hot sauce and then two peppers. Definitely used to be a Tabasco bottle, like officially licensed. But you positive? Apparently, oh, I'm positive. Don't you Mandela affect me out of this? Because for me, I, I believe you. But for me, it wasn't ever the association of Tabasco sauce. Hot and spicy were always my favorite, but it's because it combined my two favorite things in food. 
Cheez-Its and pain. Well, look, man, it's just, they're delicious, but I'm having a crisis because I'm thinking if a match made in heaven like Cheez-It and Tabasco, if even they can't keep it together, what does that say about my marriage? It's yeah, not looking good. It really makes you think. Statistically, one in every 30,000 marriages fails. So, I, I mean, I'm starting to think that maybe honeymoon's over. Statistically, <laughs> that's the statistic? Yeah, I'm kidding. I'm not married. Oh, you fooled me. I was about to be offended I wasn't invited to the wedding. <laughs> We're going to gloss right over the fact that I didn't get to go to your wedding and into the topic. Can We're going to gloss we're talking about right today? over the fact that I sent you an invite to the wedding, but you didn't realize it and everything happened too fast. Well, you are definitely going in blind this week. I didn't give you any hint as to what we're talking about. And in this show, we like to take deep dives very specifically that terminology. But if we're being honest, it's more like snorkeling in an above ground pool. Sometimes that's completely a defense mechanism, right? Because we stumble upon a conspiracy and it is so vast and so deep that if we don't stick pretty close to the surface, we will drown. I wanted to approach it from the flip side and start with something that doesn't seemingly have a lot of depth and go as deep as I possibly could. Hmm. Have you ever experienced... Or have any sort of childhood experience with Bloody Mary? Like the tomato drink? <laughs> yes! Uh, we are, of course, talking about the ghost, Bloody Mary, but you and every other person who has written about this topic made the comparison to the alcoholic beverage, and it is very funny. <laughs> Thank you for pretending. <laughs> you did a very good job of pretending. Can somebody, uh, who's hosting the Oscars? Can we get, can we give my co-host here an award for pretending? I don't, I don't understand which of us is being the asshole now, though. But legitimately, I do want to know about any sort of child, like, when did you first hear about this folklore figure, Bloody Mary? So I heard about it at a young age, I think probably at Boy Scout camp, because I did a lot of, like, Boy Scout summer camps, and every time we did a like campfire, there would be scary stories as you hear about in old fashioned Disney Channel original movies and the like. <laughs> we would talk about scary stories and people would talk about very specific ones that would relate to the area, which was always interesting because like there would be a couple guys who talked about it and like looked stuff up beforehand so they would be more clever than the rest of the guys. Nice. But Bloody Mary was the one that always came up. However, or I believed it was nonsense because I grew up at a very conservative Christian church with very not conservative Christian parents. <laughs> like I wasn't, I used to read books at, in church and my parents wouldn't let me read Harry Potter at church because they thought the other people would think that they were letting their son learn witchcraft. But I mean, it says something that you grew up in that environment and I as well had a, I had a very sheltered childhood and even I was aware of this urban legend of Bloody Mary. So that gives you an idea of the extent to which this story had spread throughout America by the time that we were growing up. This is kind of a spoiler question, but does this have a lot to do with the historical figure? Depends on what you mean by the historical figure, because there might be several. And as with a lot of folklore, getting the specifics is the most difficult thing. Folklore, by <laughs> definition, is word of mouth and originates from people telling stories and passing them along. Right. Right. So finding the beginning point is one of the most difficult things to do. And you kind of have to do that like much, much later after it's already been cemented into the culture. Then someone decides, where did this actually come from? And starts digging deeper. 
Today, that's me. But there have also been historians that have done this. Namely, in the 1970s, there was a lot of research that was attempted because it had reached the peak of its popularity in the United States. Turns out this really only exists in the United States, which is interesting because there's not a whole lot of folklore that exists in our culture at all. Most of it originates in Victorian England, if we're talking about Western culture or even Native American tradition. But for something to be truly suburban Americana folklore is really rare. That's interesting because I always pictured this to be related to Mary, Queen of Scots. Hmm. I and I guess see, I don't know very much about it. I know something it has something to do with chanting in the bathroom. And then for some reason, I connected that with Mary, Queen of Scots. Okay. well, the details of this game, quote unquote, they really tend to vary. Uh, But according to HowStuffWorks.com, the basic tenets are always the same. So the participant enters a darkened room with a lit candle. He or she looks into a mirror while chanting Bloody Mary's name or phrase a specific number of times. If the ritual is performed correctly, a figure called Bloody Mary might appear in front in the mirror, reach out, scratch their face or be released from the afterlife and haunt him or her forever. Stakes are high on that one. Other versions of the story, other versions of the story include the mirror dripping blood, the participant's hair turning permanently white, or the participant just disappearing from this realm of existence without a trace. Some rituals involve simply chanting Bloody Mary, whereas other versions involve chanting I believe in Bloody Mary, or even I killed your baby, Bloody Mary. Which that one is definitely the scariest because then you're just really poking the hornet's nest, like actively trying to provoke this ghost. Or is it just blood dripping from the mirror? Again, the specifics are really, really murky. That's why it's amazing that everyone has heard of this thing, even though all the details are so vague. There's a basic through line to it all, though, right? That if you break it down, it's very simple. Like, are there are there consistencies like consistent with every single one of these stories? Well, I mean, that's what How Stuff Works here attempted to do. What you can say for sure is that a participant enters into a room with a mirror. Those are essential. Usually it's a bathroom because that's the room in your house that has a mirror. You have to have a lit candle. I don't think there's any variations where you do this with the the flash feature on your cell phone. It's always a lit candle because that's, at the very least, that's a lot scarier. Mm-hmm. And and it and it makes because it because of fire danger, right? Fire danger, and it's more ritualistic because you have to like dig an emergency candle out of your like laundry room and find the lighter hidden somewhere in the kitchen, and then light the candle and hope that your parents don't like smell the smoke from the candle and get you in trouble. There's that level to it. Just preparing it is ritualistic, and then something scary happens, <laughs> and what that scary thing is really just varies from from slumber party to slumber party. And Hmm. I think that's maybe why this has spread as as widely as it has, is that the person most frequently groups of girls in a slumber party. And this I found is is typically a girl's tradition at slumber parties. And it's a dare that you do. But the person who is daring the other person to partake in this practice can kind of like fudge the the threat however they want to to make it most scary to the participant right so if you know that they have a problem with blood you can kind of pivot it and say that the mirror is going to drip blood right or if they're really self-conscious about their appearance you can say it's going to turn their hair white forever 
So, so the consequence seems to kind of be adaptable to the person to make them the most scared possible. So it's a little DIY in it. It that, is. That I can adapt this to any situation. And I think that's that's a lot of the appeal is that it welcomes creativity for the storyteller and the person who is being exposed to this ritual is what I'm going to call it. Maybe that's a little bit a little bit generous, but it is ritualistic. Uh, they may not be the wiser that it was just made up on the spot. That's cool. I, I actually really like that. So I always thought it was related to Mary, Queen of Scots, because she was I don't think she was a particularly spooky or haunting character, but she was powerful in Scotland and was uh, executed. Hmm. Well, you're really close and you're on the right track. And this isn't for certain, but we do have an origin point of the name Bloody Mary. And that's actually Mary I of England, uh, who put many Protestants to death for heresy and was given the name Bloody Mary. Really? Yeah, she was the Queen of England uh, from July 1553 until her death, not a year there for some reason. She's best known for aggressive <laughs> attempts to reverse the English Reformation, which had begun during the reign of her father. And the executions, all that led to her denunciation as Bloody Mary by her Protestant opponents. But it, if you, you may notice it has little to nothing to do with the actual urban legend. She, there's nothing about her becoming a ghost. There's nothing her about ripping little girls' heads off at slumber parties. She just has the name Bloody Mary, and that's kind of it. So there isn't... See, that's what's confusing to me about this whole thing, is that it's not a common story or tradition in other nations, but it didn't even originate in our nation. Right, and it's important to point out that the Bloody Mary tale doesn't exist in any other culture outside of America. It is a United States phenomenon. Does it appear often in literature? No. That's why most of the writing we have about this figure comes from the 70s, because that is when the story reached its peak, and a lot of adults and folklorists began to hear about this character. One example of a historian who likes to call himself a folklorist, which I imagine a folklorist is within... They're, the folklorists are the nerds of the historians, right? They're the nerds' nerds. They have to be. We have Bloody Mary in the Mirror, a ritual reflection of prepubescent anxiety by Alan Dundees. Okay. It starts off by saying, one of the most disheartening aspects of folklorists, the scientific study of folklore, thanks Alan, is the persistent lack of analysis or interpretation. So for him, he was less interested in the actual origin and the historical elements of the tale and more what that said about the culture that had the story. So he was more interested in the context around it. Exactly. That's a much better way of saying it. And he kind of makes a jump that a lot of historians from that point on were quick to make. And that is the fact that this story is prominent in young preteen girls slumber parties. And there's kind of that Freudian slash Carl Jung explanation how stuff works cites alan and says a unique quite freudian take on the legend suggests that the story is an initiation ritual into womanhood he knows hmm. the bloody mary legend revolves around blood suddenly appearing the sudden disfigurement of your appearance and it takes place in a bathroom with kids who are right on the edge of puberty 
This is kind of, this is like when you're in English class and your teacher brings up something that's completely irrelevant and then asks you to explain what the significance of that moment is. Like, I, I very specifically remember we're doing an analysis of Great Expectations and my English teacher almost said professor, not quite, asked what the significance of a character stirring their coffee with a nail file was. And that was the moment when I realized that most school is bullshit. <laughs> that specifically sticks out in my mind. Oh, we're just making this garbage up. Got it. Should you answer, because that's what he had nearby? <laughs> I mean, that, when, when that book was written, it's definitely just because that's what the character had nearby. But then later, you have people who want to imbue meaning and perhaps it's just to make them seem more intellectual. You see what I'm saying? And I think that might be a little bit of what's going on here. I tend to just lean towards the more, even more simple explanation of it being something that's fun to do. <laughs> I think it's fun that's to why do. It caught on. I think it's fun to do. But another reason it's so captivating is it's easy to use again and again in different situations. Right. This actually ties back into. Peel back behind the curtain a little bit. Asher and I spent the weekend hanging out together for the first time in a while, and it was awesome. But one thing we talked about is the reason baseball rules never change and basketball rules change a decent amount is because you can break basketball down to a few fundamentals, right? Correct. And baseball requires so much of it to stay the same sport. Like you couldn't have baseball without the bases, obviously, but you couldn't have baseball without the pitcher, without the batter, without the outfield. Whereas basketball is essentially two teams going in different directions, have to dribble, shoot ball in net. And that's why it's so easy to play a pickup basketball game when it's so hard to play a pickup baseball game. Right. And I think that's what's so interesting about this Bloody Mary situation is that you can do this Bloody Mary with the same people a bunch of different ways and use it in a bunch of different situations and it's still exciting, it's still fun, it's still easy because it's a bare bones like rule set. And there's so much variation, even the name Bloody Mary sometimes changes. There's another variation where she's just called Mary Worth. Mary Worth being another historical figure though, a witch who was executed in the Salem witch trials. I do want to say quote unquote cough cough ahem, witch who was executed but obviously that name is a lot less popular if not just because mary worth doesn't sound as scary yeah, we can also look towards bloody mary's targets and to find one more possible culprit and that would be elizabeth bathroy okay her name's elizabeth bathroy and there's no mary in there at all so not starting off great but she was known as the queen of blood who was supposedly convicted for murdering hundreds of young girls so that she could bathe in their blood. Wow, that rules. Yeah, and supposedly is a strange choice of words <laughs> because these stories of her serial murders and brutality were verifi verified by the testimony of more than 300 witnesses and survivors, as well as physical evidence, and the fact that there were horribly mutilated, dead, dying, imprisoned girls found in her home at the time of her arrest. It's a little incriminating, but she was, at the time, a member of the most wealthy family in Hungary, which is now, this would be 1560, so it's now Hungary, Slovakia, Romania, 
and she was never convicted because of her position as a wealthy noblewoman. But she definitely killed hundreds of young girls with the belief that their blood would give her eternal youth. You can definitely see how a story that horrifying, and she is in fact in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most prolific female serial killer, would inspire a monster figure. But I don't, I don't really quite, I, that seems also like a coincidence. Like you're looking at the specifics of Bloody Mary and finding a figure in the past that fits that description. It's my belief personally that this story probably started at a slumber party. And a brilliant young girl who was an excellent storyteller was able to create a monster that would go down in history and legend. But I doubt that that person would have been educated in like 14th century serial killers. I think it's a really cool story and it's cool that the uh, there's so many connections, but I don't think this is the origin either. One thing I like about that, even if it is the origin, is that it doesn't have to be connected to the actual game at any in any ways. I think what's so valuable is that you and I both knew about it. I'm sure most of our audience, if not all of our audience, will have known about it before this. But I doubt many of them knew any of the origin of where it could have possibly come from. But I think that that may be part of what's so appealing is that this scary story kind of came out of nowhere, was just a, a haunting game that happened. And that might be more appealing than actually yeah. connecting because when you're playing scary things like that, it's so much better knowing that it's fiction. You know what I mean? Mm. Sure. It's, it's, it's something, it becomes a collaborative, creative exercise almost, and no one's really in danger. Like one of my favorite movies of last year was Hereditary. And if I knew that that was a true story, there's some terrifying stuff that happens in that and I would be haunted for months. Whereas me knowing that it's fake lets me know this is a cool, thrilling picture. But none of this happened. Absolutely. Yeah. And Alan Dundee's kind of gets into that, too, of it being sort of a cathartic release of a lot of I mean, it's the same reason that horror movies have appeal is that mm -hmm. it's a safe environment that you can kind of feel feel the, uh, the thrill of fear without actually being in any danger. We're using the words game and story here, but I definitely had some kids who swore to me that they had seen Bloody Mary. Now, they were just shitty little liars who were trying to get attention. But let's assume that some people really do think that they've seen the apparition of this violent woman in their reflection. What could be the cause of that? The physical scientific explanation of this as a phenomena instead of just a story is that staring into a mirror in a dimly lit room for a pro prolonged period of time can cause someone to hallucinate. Facial features can appear to melt, distort, disappear, rotate. Other horrifying hallucinatory elements, uh, such as animal faces, may appear. Uh, Giovanni Caputo, he writes that this phenomenon, which she calls the, quote, strange face illusion, is believed to be a consequence of the disassoci disassociative identity effect, which causes the brain's facial recognition system to misfire in a currently unidentified way. Other possible explanations are attributed to at least partially the perceptual effects of Troxler's fading and possibly self-hypnosis. Now, hopefully that wasn't too overwhelming. Troxler's fading is just that effect where if you stare at one color for too long, the color kind of disappears. We've, we've all seen optical illusions like this. 
And in a similar way, if you're looking at yourself in the mirror and it's really dim and you can barely make out your face anyway, and you're unblinking and you look at your face for a long time, it's going to kind of start warping and distorting because the rods and cones in your eyes get tired. And there's also like they call this strange face illusion which is that your mind kind of starts to disassociate the picture you're seeing from the reflection of yourself. Hmm. Uh, that's all very interesting and a little unsettling, but I don't really think that in the case of Bloody Mary, anyone really spends 20, 30 minutes looking unblinking at their face in the mirror. It's not really part of the ritual to begin with, but it's interesting to see how like maybe some of the quote unquote believers may have actually seen something that could be explained this way. I cannot imagine staring at the mirror for 20 minutes because I can't imagine not being distracted by something in that 20 minutes. I can't imagine just staring at the mirror for three minutes. <laughs> Even at the promise of a ghost woman ripping your head off, you're like, nah, I'm bored now. Yeah, that's awesome. I think ultimately it doesn't really matter where this came from. I'm just glad that it exists. Genuinely. It's a product of all of our childhoods. It's something that wasn't really written. It wasn't invented. It was just born from the culture that we were a part of. And I, I don't know, that's kind of the appeal of folklore in general, is that it's so inextractable from the context it came from. Honestly, going back to what you said probably 10 minutes ago about how folklorists are the nerdiest historians, I think I disagree. I think history is interesting, don't get me wrong, but... I've tried to watch a lot of documentaries and stuff in the last year and biopics and everything. And a lot of them I've enjoyed, but thought, wow, what really made me not as interested in that was the actual story. Like certain parts of it, if you were creating your own narrative would be more interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like I saw the movie, Mary Queen of Scots, and it was so well done, but there were parts of it that just felt, I get that this is a true story, but parts of this just aren't interesting the way a completely fabricated story are. And I think that putting yourself through that kind of study is so much harder than putting yourself through a folklore kind of study where it is fictionally, not entirely fiction, but created out of like a, a need for hysteria and mystery. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And this, this really feel like, according to a lot of psychologists who kind of follow the Jung Freudian train of thought, this practice really fills a void in modern society. The whole period of the hunter-gatherer phase of human life, every tradition had rituals to transport someone from childhood to adulthood. They were physical actions. They were often painful, but you would be transformed into a man or a woman and approved by your clan. And that doesn't exist anymore. And there's theories that there is still a innate human desire for that sort of ritual. And where there isn't one that's put in place by a system, one will naturally arise. And this is a case for that. Yeah. That's all I got. Uh, we usually like to end off with something that you can do, but I guess in this case, it's really obvious. Grab yourself an emergency candle and go summon a demon in your own bathroom. I'd love to. That's how I spend every Monday afternoon. And Anna, if you're if you live through the experience, why don't you let us know about it? You can contact us at tell them about it, Jackson. You can uh, follow our Instagram at Strictly Confidential Show and our Twitter at S Confident Show. And then our email address, if you want to shoot us stuff directly, is strictlyconfidentialshow at gmail.com. 
Many thanks to Glenn Merle for the use of our theme song, Threadbare, off the album Burden of Proof. It's on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your music. It's probably streaming there. We can go check out glenmerlemusic.com so you can be informed when his new album drops soon. And if you want to be on the show, go ahead and email us. We would love to have you on. Love to get an interview in. And if you like this show, please be sure to tell your best friend that they should listen to it also. Word of mouth is the best way to market. Yeah. So do Uh, it for us. If you like what you heard, definitely tell the people around you, leave a review. That's always valuable too. We love getting to read those and uh, nobody's left a negative review so far. So if you want to leave a negative review, don't. Because our show is good. Thank you. Well, as always, I've been Asher. And I've been Jackson. And you've been listening to Strictly Confidential. And all together now, say it with me. I killed your baby, Bloody Mary. I killed your baby, Bloody Mary. I killed your baby, Bloody Mary.